Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Overwhelmed, slapped, and still steady. If I can draw your attention to verse 29, uh, Jesus says, Now, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. My question is, what do you do when somebody slaps you? What do you do when life slaps you? It's interesting. We was in church on Sunday, and then the slap hurt around the world. But my question this morning is, what do you do when life slaps you? What do you do when challenges slap you? What do you do when destiny slaps you? What do you do when the will battles against the rock? My God, what do you do when all hell breaks loose? Are you able to stand steady? Are you able to make it? There's so many things that the Bible encourages us to do and blesses us to do, but there's a lot of times in the Bible where we're challenged. This is a challenging passage for all of us in the room. We came and we shouted and praised and believed and walls come down and miracles, but, but at the same time, the, the worship service can't just be a great big cheerleading moment just for us to shout and run. We also need our toes stepped on a little bit. We also need a word from the Lord that not only encourages, but also challenges us to kind of walk according to something higher than what we would normally do on our own selves. It's part of the challenge of the scriptures is that Christian behavioral expectations are not functionally realistic. I just throw that under the Christian behavioral expectations are not always functionally realistic. It's why we just want folk to make a shout and a run and holler because if we get too into this word and get too into what Jesus said, we're gonna come across a passage that requires a behavior from us that in our flesh is not realistic to us functionally. In other words, the Bible requires behavior that real people find daunting. The Bible requires behavior that real people can find challenging. Real people can find it daunting. Real people can find it difficult to live according to the Bible. The Bible has a way of setting a mark that's not easy for any of us to meet. And if you are never challenged by the Bible, might I suggest that you don't really read it or don't nobody really explain it to you. If, if the only time you hear the Bible you feel good about yourself, then I might want to suggest to you that you might want to open yourself up to some teaching that's not just pandering to your situation. Bible has a way of bothering you. Bible has a way of messing with you. And for all of us real people in here, for all of us that can stop for just a minute and lay down our Christian fakery and admit that our behavior doesn't always match biblical expectations. 
Oh, my Lord, help us, Holy Ghost. For all of us who like to believe that we could stand still and with our hands behind our back, for all of us who believe that we would not retaliate, if for all of us who like to think we saved enough for that, but there's a, there's a, but there's a little part of us on the inside that know that there's a little bit of some country gets some, some, something in there for all of us that can admit that the Bible can challenge you. I, just for a minute, I want to suggest a few things about the passage. And we have a tendency to look at the passage, and I'm bringing the passage up because everybody talking about it, and I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> but in the passage, we, we, we look at the passage without necessarily seeing in all of its context. In verse 35, Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be children of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. There have been several times here in, in this church and on this stage in which I've done an analogy with a ladder. I don't want to pull another. I, don't, I asked for a ladder again. I don't want them to pull another ladder out here. I don't want to be known as the ladder pastor. But I've done this analogy in which I'm saying there's, there's three levels in my view to Christianity. Three levels of the expectation. And really, three levels of, of not just Christianity, but, but love. Yeah, you can apply it to love. Now, not just your love for God. But the love of your job or your love of your company or love of your significant other, the, the love of your parents or the love of your... There's, a, there's three levels of it. I preached this before. I'm going to say it again because it's relevant to, to, the, to the point I want to make this morning very quickly. But I, 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 said, I said this just a few weeks ago that the lowest level or the first level, the bottommost level of Christianity is obedience. Doing what you're told. Obedience. It's the bottommost level. Somebody shake, breaks the word down to you. Somebody takes you to a passage of scripture. The Bible says that you should forgive from your heart. Now you are faced with a commandment to forgive. And the question is, can you do what the Bible says do? Folk who called themselves Christians just did what the Bible said to do. But it's the bottommost rung of Christianity is obedience. And what's more, you can make an argument that this the bottom most rung of love is obedience because at the end of the day, if you really love somebody or care about somebody, then you should be able to do something they ask you to do. If you really love the job, then you should be able to do something that you're asked to do. If you're asked to do something, told to do something, then obedience a response in obedience is just the lowest level of what it means really to be in love and really to be in this Christianity. Number one, it's just, can, can you do what the Word says do? That's hard, especially around this passage of Scripture. <laughs> but, but can you just do what the Word says do? Then the second level that I've said before is pleasing the Lord. So the bottommost level is, what the Word say do? Then the second level is, well, 
Find out what pleases the Lord. This kind of makes up for gray areas that the Bible may not necessarily directly address. So instead of looking at the Bible as some great big legal document, you develop a relationship with God. It's not just a letter, but it's the spirit because the letter killeth, but the spirit gives life. It's possible for the letter to be applied in a way that isn't even pleasing to God. So God may be not make may not be pleased by a way in which we've applied the letter of the law. And so the lowest level is doing what the word says do, but then the next level is, yeah, but can I please God? I want my life to be pleasing to God. It's not just what you say to do, but can I anticipate what you like and please you? It's one thing for you to have to tell me how to honor you on Mother's Day. Something else altogether for me to think of you and try to please you on Mother's Day on my own. One thing for you to tell me, buy me flowers, take me to P.F. Chang's. Does anybody go to P.F. Chang's anymore? Take me to P.F. Chang's. I'm like, I do. <laughs> Going in today. Take me to this place and give me a card that's nice, but that can get old. When you have to explain to somebody every way to love you, that can get old. Pleasing is that next level. And, and then in the same way, I mean, sure, this is what they told you the job description was, but if you really love the company and really love working there and really are trying to make the company grow, you may even be willing to stretch a little outside of what the confines of your job description is and find out what pleases the company because you've gone to another level besides just the strictness of what you're told. Anybody that says, but that ain't in my job description. Well, if you say that to me, <laughs> you may find yourself looking for another job because I don't want you to just do what's written in the job description. I want you to care enough about the goals of the company. Oh, help us, Holy Ghost. I'm not going to care about you if you don't care about me. And you're not going to care about me if I don't care about you. I got you. But, but what I'm saying is, is pleasing is a part of it. And then the third level, the highest level that we said was imitation. It's the highest level of Christianity is I'm going to be like the Lord. I want to be like Christ. That's a Christian. What he would do, I would do. Highest level of that love relationship is they like it cold. And you know what? Now I like it cold. They like it real hot in here. Hey, you know what? I've just adapted. And now I like it hot. If after 20 years you are still fighting over the thermostat, then might I suggest that somebody hasn't adapted properly. I mean, you can argue over something but for so long, but at some point, it's not just doing it my way because it's pleasing, but it's doing it my way because that's how you're doing it the way we do it because we are trying to be alike, trying to be like him. 
is the highest level. Trying to be like him is the most daunting thing about being a Christian. And where most Christians fall short is in being like him. America claims to be a Christian nation, but we don't. <laughs> we fall short when it comes to the imitation. And so what I'm saying is this passage about turning the other cheek and giving the people and they want to take your jacket and let them take it. And for all of us who struggle with something like that, slap me, I might. I want to believe that I won't, but, but, and, and I think, and I'm, and I'm older now. So I, it's not even fair at 53 to talk about this. At 25, you definitely getting hit back in no uncertain terms. We're going to be scrapping on this stage up in here. we be some fighting Negroes up in here. That's what's going to happen. But at 53, is my knee clicking today anyway? So that may be a part of it, but my point is, is the idea of turning the other cheek out, turn this cheek, but to turn the other cheek to, to you take my coat and I give you my coat. Sound a little like being punked to me. Sound a little like being, like you getting, to take my coat. First of all, it depends on how new is the coat. Okay, I have to let. If I've had the coat a long time, you could take the coat. But if I just got this coat, if I just got this, you better be careful how you touch it if I just got it. This, this idea, number one, is imitation. It's the highest calling. And then number two, even more to my point today, is in Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about a concept. I've talked about it before from this stage. I'm going to talk about it again this morning. If you're watching for the first time, or maybe you've heard me before but you don't remember it, that's all right. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing. That second concept is reciprocity reciprocity the idea of reciprocity is what comes out of you comes back to you it starts in you it goes out and it comes back that's reciprocity reciprocity is not I sit here and wait to get something and then I give it to you reciprocity is no I look at me I look at my storage I look at what's on the inside of me and what's on the inside of me overflows and goes out and what goes out from me has to come back to me so if I don't like what I'm getting I have to take a look at what I'm giving oh help us Holy Ghost I can't, if I leave it up to you, 
If I leave my life in your hands, that's what I do. If I'm sitting around waiting for you to give me something, now my life is out of my control. Now it's in your control. Now it's in your hands. Now I got to deal with whether or not you had a good day or not. Whether or not I have a good day don't have nothing to do with whether or not you're having a good day. I have a good day because I woke up in the morning and I said, you know what? This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. He didn't have to let me live, but I'm alive. Woke up this morning with my mind stayed on Jesus and I, and I put on a song and I got some joy in my heart. I'm not waiting to see how you are to dictate how I'm going to be. I can't live my life like that. It's too fickle. People are too fickle. Folk are too, too inconsistent for me to allow my life to be dictated by what they do. I have to decide, no, no, no. It starts in here first. And what I send out has got to come back. If I sow, I gotta reap. I, God will not be mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. I believe in that law, and I believe that if I show kindness, kindness will come back to me. If I show mercy, mercy will come back to me. If I'm friendly, I will have friends. I don't have no friends. Well, maybe you don't have no friends because of how your face is and because you don't look like you want no friends and you don't talk to nobody. The, the passage, Jesus is talking about reciprocity. I mean, in verse 37, he says, do not be judged and you will not be judged. People are always judging me. Well, maybe you're judging He's saying, well, if you don't want judgment to come back, don't put judgment out. Do not judge, you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Do y'all see it? Do y'all see it? It's reciprocity. Forgive. The forgiveness starts with you. It doesn't start with whether or not they're sorry. It doesn't start with whether or not they came right. It doesn't start with whether or not they said nothing. It doesn't start with no, no, no. It, you make up in your mind, well, I'm going to forgive. And if I forgive, then I will be forgiven. If by nobody, then just by God. Forgive and you shall be forgiven. Give, and it shall be given unto you again. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together, running over. Will men pour into your lap? We use that passage all the time. Forgiving, but Jesus is talking about reciprocity. Verse 39, he says, hey, can the blind lead the blind? <laughs> Will they not both fall into the pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who's fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you say, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? Hypocrite, first deal with you. First, take the plank out your eye, 
then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from out of your brother's eye. Ooh, this is a heavy word I'm, ta I'm talking here because most of us, and I include myself, I, I find myself at times having to ask myself, well, what would I do in that situation first? And let me judge me first before I judge what else somebody else would. Before I say anything, I need to think about, well, what's going on in my eye? It's reciprocity. What's going to come out of me is going to come back to me. So if I'm blind, I can't lead the blind. I can't be blind and lead the blind. I can't be blind and tell you how to be. So sight's got to come out of me and it'll come back to me. Verse 43 just continues the thought. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People don't pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil somebody brings evil things out of the evil stored up in them. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Oh, help us, God. That means that if you are storing good right now, if you are tuned in, if you made it to the service, and you store up good, so good will come out. You store it up, it goes out, it comes back. If you store up evil, God help us. <laughs> if you store up enough evil, meaning when folk dish you evil, when folk say evil, when folk do evil, if you hold it. I'm going to move on, but I don't know if you've ever had evil done to you and you just held it. You keep it in. You don't let it go. If you hold it, holding evil in you, makes you do evil back. All of us have got to be conscious of what we're storing. All of us need to do an inventory of what we're storing. Have you ever moved before? I'm sure. Everybody in here has moved. Packed up? and left your apartment or packed, left your house or bought a new place, you moved. Wave at me in the room. I know folk end up, you moved. Have you ever noticed that once you get all the main stuff out, then there's just this layer of scrum. You wish you could just light it all on fire. It's just stuff in junk drawers and, and stuff that you're just going through. And you just, and some of you just dump a junk drawer into a bag and take it with you and then pour it into a new junk drawer. The devil is a liar. I rebuke all junk drawers in the name of Jesus. Some of you got more than one. I want you to be free from your junk drawer demon. I really only allow one in my house, but some of y'all got two and three junk drawers. You got a junk drawer in the kitchen. You got a junk drawer in your one of your nightstand dresses is a junk drawer. 
I can't get no honest folk in the church. But if you open it up, you got a, you got a piece of paper in there from a refrigerator that you had three apartments ago, bruh. Can't throw this away. You got keys in there. You don't know what they go to. You took them to the trash, but you put them back in that drawer because you never know. Them keys might go to, them keys might go to what? You done stored up so much stuff and stored up so much junk. We store stuff and don't know we storing it. I don't know if you've ever seen that, that show, Hoarders. My Lord, my God. Lord, my, that's one of my favorite shows, Hoarders and My 600-Pound Life. My God, yeah, help me, Jesus, My 600-Pound Life. They, listen, I, them folk have faith. They, they believe they're going to get their life back. My God, I, and sometimes it inspires me. It inspires me. I'll be wiping my tears. I'm going to get myself together. That's, that's what I'll be saying. I'll be like, go ahead, girl. When she step on the scale, she look down. I'm like, come on, girl. I, I, I love that show. Sometimes when they're eating something, I'm like, anybody want donuts? Anyway, what I'm saying to you is, is what are you storing? Folk on that show just can't throw anything away. My God, may we be able to let stuff go. Help us, Holy Ghost. Let stuff go. We don't want to hear the story of what happened to you in the eighth grade. You're 61. If I say, tell me your story, and you say, well, in the eighth grade, I'm going to say, baby, can we let the eighth grade stuff in the junk drawer grow, go, and can we move on? Because what you store comes out. Reciprocity says, it comes out of me, it comes back to me. Love goes out, love comes back. Forgiveness goes out, forgiveness comes back. Not judging people goes out, not judging people comes back. Amen. You got to be careful judging people when you yourself know that you need the Lord. What goes out of you comes back to you. It all begins with you. And it applies to this overwhelmed fighting anxiety. It all applies because if we look back at our original passage, which is Matthew 14, what we really are looking at is a faith versus fear discussion. That's, that's what it is. It's a faith versus fear discussion. Jesus comes out walking on the water. Peter sees him walking on the water. The first response is fear. They cry out in fear. Jesus says, take courage, it's me. Relax, it's the Lord. So it's absolutely possible for you to be in a situation and you be terrified and you hear God say, but this is me. I don't know who this is for. I, I, this isn't in the notes, but I'm just throwing it out real quick, just extra. That's, uh, you're, you're, you're terrified, you're scared half to death, but the Lord is saying, yeah, I know this looks scary, but it's me. No, this looks like it's going to shake everything, but it's God. And so Peter says, now, Lord, if it's you, 
Bid me come on the water. Let me walk on the water. Jesus says, come. And faith comes alive in Peter. He ends up having faith to be able to walk on the water. He believes enough to walk on water. The faith comes out of him. And the faith in him gives him the power to walk on water. But in the middle of it, it says, when, verse 30, when he saw the wind, when he saw the waves, fear came back. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs his hand and says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you let fear slide in? And make you doubt when you were in faith. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation, but I have. Where I'm out here walking by faith and fear likes to try to intercept me and interrupt me and reintroduce itself back into the situation. Peter starts in faith and ends in fear. What happened? How did this take place? We can look at it and be critical of it. I don't think any of us are all that critical of it. I know I'm not critical of it. I can't imagine walking on the water at all, let alone walking on the water in a storm. I'd like to believe that I'd have enough faith like Peter to walk on the water, but we're talking about walking on water. Some of us don't like to swim at all, let alone walk on the water. So it's, it's how, do I, how do I do that? What happens? How did we go from faith to fear? And how do we go from fear to faith? I think we talk a lot in the church about how faith works, and I don't know if we talk that much about how fear works. And because we don't talk about how fear works, fear jumps in and takes over. Because it's possible for fear to take over. I just want us to be honest in the room, and I know one around the world, it's possible for fear to take over. Fear is instinctive. Fear isn't necessarily thought. Fear is a reaction. Fear is an instinct. I sought the Lord and he hurt me and delivered me from all my fears. Sure, that's cognitive fears. But if we're honest in here as humans, we will admit that there's fears that we have that are subconscious. When we talk about anxiety and depression, but when we talk about in the moment of walking on the water, and then in the moment, wind and waves disrupting the faith and making him afraid, we can be critical of Peter at a cerebral level, but I would contend that being afraid of wind and waves is deeper than what goes on in your cerebral cortex. I might suggest that deep down, you have fears 
that are reinforced by your physiology. So if we talk about how do I conquer fear, and I, I want to get into that. How do I conquer that fear? How do I conquer the fear to take a risk? How do I conquer the fear to take a risk and go for this scholarship or take a risk and go for this new job or take a risk and start my own business or take a risk and go meet somebody new or take a risk and go out or take a risk or, and open myself up to a new person? I was hurt. I'm upset. My friends betrayed me. My family let me down. Now I've decided I'm just going to be a loner that just is kind of all about me. You're trying to get me to be friendly again, but I got hurt. So now my defensive walls are up and I'm not letting nobody new in. I'm not talking to a whole bunch of new people. I'm not trying to get to know a whole bunch of nobody new because my interactions with people haven't always been positive. Now you're trying to get me to take that risk. How do I conquer that fear? Well, I'm saying, A, number one, you have to understand fear. You have to understand that just like Faith is a superpower, and I talked about this last Sunday, faith being a superpower, and we hollered and ran, and it was wonderful. But not only is faith a superpower, so is fear. Fear is a superpower. It's one of the ways for you to overcome it and defeat it is for you to know that it's not really there to hurt you, it's there to help you. If you understand brain chemistry and its function, I'm going to throw just a picture on your screen really quickly of, uh, I hope I can get this picture up here, of your amygdala, the, the way that your brain is structured, the actual physical structure of the brain. Can y'all get that up there? Is it possible? No? My God, the, the way that it actually works, man, it's all right, I can explain it. You have to realize that there's several parts to your brain. Your brain is made up of several pieces. Oh, there it goes. Thank you. There it is. The big word there is your amygdala. Your amygdala is this little almond-shaped little thing that's in the base of your brain. Most of your brain is cerebral cortex. Most of it is your frontal cortex. That's where your memories and your personality and your sense of humor and your knowledge and your thoughts, they're all in the big part of your brain. Then you've got this thing called your thalamus. Your thalamus is almost like a traffic cop that dictates where information goes through your eyes. So you see down here, you got the pumpkin and it's the threat. It goes into your eyes. And when it goes into your eyes, it goes directly into your thalamus. And your thalamus now decides where is this information going to be stored? Is this information going into your cortex? Or is this information going to your amygdala? And your amygdala has the ability to impact your spinal cord, which is all of your 
nerves and your instinctive movements and so that it protects you from stuff that you don't have time to think about if it's dangerous. Leave that up there, gentlemen, for just a minute. Let me give you a very applicable example. The door opened up and a lion came in here. Most of you in here would run before you thought about it. Oh, I need a witness in the building. Most of us wouldn't even really realize what had happened till we was out the door. Because the minute your eye saw a lion, your thalamus would say, amygdala, amygdala would make your Blood pressure go boom, 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 boom. You start breathing heavy. This is oxygenation of your lungs to get ready for you to fight or flight. Matter of fact, your amygdala can click into your adrenaline and give you power that you will run and you ain't run in a year. Oh, I wish I had a witness. Some, all of you in here like me who think, well, before I run, I need to stretch my calves. No, you don't. Not if no pit bull came in here, you wouldn't. You wouldn't feel pain till the next day. Oh, I wish I had. You'd be like, you know, I think I hurt my head when that dog ran through that world of us. What is that? That's because the threat would speak to your thalamus. Your thalamus would immediately decide that is a threat. Now your heart is beaten and your amygdala is giving you what you need to respond to danger. One of the things about these parts of your brain is they don't communicate with each other all that well. So let's say that you have a bad experience with a dog when you're five. Or a bad experience with a clown. When you're seven. Now, because of the threat, now, your body learned your amygdala learned, whoa, clouds are dangerous. Even when you're 31 and you see a clown and they're just juggling and your cerebral cortex is trying to say it's okay, but your amygdala is saying, no, that's a clown, that's a clown, get out of here, it's a clown. Let me give you another example. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Y'all hearing me, feel me? Let's say when you're a child, your mama tells you, don't touch the stove. Don't touch that stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Anybody, your mama, don't touch that, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. She can say it all she want. She can say it all she want. Sometimes I hear mama saying it over and over and over, and I'm like, I mean, you can say it till you blue in the face. But when they touch the stove and get burnt, you will never have to say that to them ever again. 
As a matter of fact, the knowledge that the stove is hot is so deeply ingrained in us as human beings that even when a stove is off, you're careful about touching it. If you go to lean on a stove, there's a part of you that say, don't touch that, don't, 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 don't lean on that, don't. Even if you know it's off, when you go to clean the grates, when you open the oven and you're going to take the grate out, there's a part of you that just touches it first because your amygdala is telling you, no, 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 that's hot. And one of the challenges of your amygdala is it's always learning. You have to be careful what you allow it to go through because it's constantly picking up information. It's constantly learning stuff. And it has the ability to make you feel a way and you don't even see the threat. It's possible for you to be laying in your bed and your heart's just beating fast. You feel like your heart's beating fast and you don't know why. It's possible for your adrenaline to kick in and give you an alertness and a nervousness in your stomach like you're on a roller coaster and you're just driving through your neighborhood. We have to understand fear. <laughs> I'm suggesting that Peter's thalamus <laughs> communicated that walking on the water is crazy. I'm submitting for your consideration that your thalamus sees you starting your own business and not getting a consistent check as a scary thing to do. That's not smart. And the signal to your amygdala is get ready to fight or run. And now your body is having a reaction to something without the real threat there. And if you understand it and say, I get it. What my body is doing is trying to give me extra turbo juice for me to be able to fight and run and do exactly what I need to do. Then that's half the battle. If you're sitting here saying, why do I feel so afraid? Well, a part of the reason why you feel afraid is because fear is a part of your defense mechanism. I can bind fear, but we don't want to bind it too much. Because fear keeps you a certain amount of safe. So the first thing that I've got to do is understand fear. The second thing I have to do is I have to face fear. I got to face it. I got to ask myself the question, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen is a question that we have a tendency to kind of walk around. It's like we kind of see it and we're kind of like, uh, we kind of think about it, but we don't. We, we, we kind of ask it, but we don't. We don't want to ask it because we are afraid of the answers that we'll come up with if we say, well, what's the worst that can happen? 
I have to face it. Well, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I'll lose this job. Well, then what? Well, then I may not be able to put my bills. Well, then what? Well, then I may not be able to have my apartment. Well, then what? Well, then I might have to move back to Accomack, North Carolina with my mama. Well, then what? Well, then, at some point, you have to figure out what is your fallback position. You have to find your fallback position and you have to look at that and debunk that of it being so terrible. If you end up back at your mama's house, well, you got out of there before, you get out of there again. When you got out of there the first time, you was only 18. Now you're 31. You know more, you got more, you're more experienced, you're better, you're stronger. I don't think you'll ever end up back at your mama's house. I'm only telling you, you've got to face it and talk to yourself about it so that it won't have so much power. What's the worst that can happen? We don't ask that question because we don't really like to face fear because fear itself is scary. But number one, we understand fear. Number two, we face fear and ask the question, well, what am I really afraid of? Well, I'm afraid that everybody's going to find out that I'm human. I need a witness in the building. I'm afraid that everybody's going to find out that I'm not perfect. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid that everybody's going to find out that I don't always have it together. I'm afraid that folk are going to find out that I need the blood just as much as everybody needs the blood. I'm afraid that folk are going to find out that I don't have as much money as I acted like I had. I'm afraid folk are going to find out that I, my job security wasn't quite what I thought it was. I'm afraid folk are going to what? Are you afraid of? Face it. Have a conversation with it. Demystify it. Otherwise, it's this ghostly thing that's never discussed that has a subconscious power over you that you can never quite overcome. Number three, this is the hardest one, and that's embrace fear. You just embrace it. You realize that fear is a part of the ride. Fear is a part of the ride. This Greek philosopher, Marcus Aurelius, and amor fati. Amor fati means love your fate. I don't necessarily believe in fate, but the idea of it is, well, this is what has happened. I can complain about it or I can embrace it and love it. I wrote a paper and my computer lost it. I get to write it again. I embrace it. I sit on a roller coaster. I told this story. I sat on a roller coaster with my sons. They made me get on a roller coaster. I'm on a roller coaster with them. You climb it up that first hill, your stomach is full of worms. 
full of butterflies. Click, 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 click. Get to the top, they hang you there for a second. Then they drop you. I'm gripping the bar with all my might like I'm holding the car together. My sons have their hands up in the air, hollering. Soon as we got to the bottom, we jumped up. They're like, Dad, let's ride it again. I'm like, get out my face. <laughs> Come on, let's ride it again. I'm like, I just barely made it through it the first time. I don't want to do it. They said, the problem is you're not riding it right. So what do you mean I'm not riding it right? They said, when you grip hard and hold and clench, you feel everything. But if you could ever throw your hands up and just holler with every hill, you won't feel it like you feel it. Oh my God. I got on the ride with them. I was gripping the bar. They said, Dad, let go, let go, let go. I let go. And when we hit that first hill, I screamed like a girl. Man, that feeling in my stomach was not there. I'm here to tell somebody, if you could ever just let the bar go, throw your hands in the air and holler, God have your way. Fear is a part of the ride. And then my last point, and I'm done, is harness fear. Harness it. Understand it, face it, embrace it, harness it. Fear is power. Figure, hey, I'm going to hitch something to this and use it to pull me to faith. Part of the way that I demystified all of the anxiety and I can't sleep is, well, I'll just work. Looks like I'll be up praying tonight, Elder Paul. Looks like I'll be writing tonight. Looks like I've been given something special that gives me a power so that I'm not tired. Let me harness that. Let me work hard with it. Maybe this is how other people who are successful got there. They got there because they had a something in them that drove them to greatness. If all I want to do is avoid fear, I will miss out on the benefits that faith brings to overwhelmment. There is no faith without fear. There is no faith without fear. If all I do is avoid all my fears, then I don't really need faith. But faith is the substance of the thing that I'm hoping for, the evidence of the thing that's not seen. And I have to allow myself to even want the thing and even face the possibility and the fear that I might not get it. 
Well, I'm scared to go in here. I'm afraid to ask them for the job. I'm afraid they may not give it to me. That's the exact same thing that makes you say, I believe that I'm about to get this. I absolutely believe that I'm about to go to the next. I absolutely believe that the God I serve is able to do something for me. No, no, no. I, I believe in God for a miracle. No, I'm trusting God that he's going to make a way for me. And I had no risk, no reward. And so there got to be a little fear in my st- stomach for me to even believe God. That I realize that the fear is here to inspire my faith and make God inspire faith out of us. May God himself sanctify us on the inside. Fill us full of a God kind of faith. Where you rule your fear, you don't let fear rule you. You rule it. You know it's there. You know it's going to speak up. You know what you're scared of. You know what your needs You know what your needs are. You know what makes you nervous. You know what makes you scared. May you approach it in faith. If it's sharks, may you go up to the shark tank. I'm not saying getting in the water. May you go up to a shark tank and look in there. That's close enough for me. (laughs) My prayer for you is that your faith will increase. My prayer for you is that you won't stay the same. My prayer for me is that I won't be exactly where I was. My prayer for you is the same prayer for me, and that is that the challenges will make you stronger. And later you will realize you wouldn't have been able to make it through that if you hadn't been through what you had been through. You went through what you went through, and now you have been empowered for great. I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. And I'm believing God that faithful overwhelm. Put your hands together if you heard a word from the Lord this morning. Can I get you to give? Can I get you to give as unto the Lord? We've been taking up our second offering, our building fund offering. And uh, we are on our way. We really are. And uh, where the, the plan is to break ground in September, hallelujah, and we are still on that schedule to break ground in September. You can clap for that, and if you're watching around the world, we need you to join with us. And uh, our land is about three miles from here. Down, go down Miami and then take a left on 70 and it's maybe a mile or two down. On the left, there's a forest, there's a sign out there. If you're leaving today, you want to know where we're going. That's where we're going. You want to know what we're building. We're building this thing. I called it Victory Park, just out of nowhere. And uh, it's a sanctuary inside of basically a great big sports arena complex type place. And I've been traveling around and looking at sports plex places. And I was in Denver with my friend and he took me to a sports plex place. And I just walked through there. Sometimes you got to walk through what somebody else has done that you don't have yet to inspire your faith. And I'm so excited about it. And so if I can, we made pledges. And if you're paying on your pledge, we need you to pay on your pledge. If you've made one and paid it, we need you to make another one and pay it again. And uh, they're saying that it's going to cost about 
$20 million. I thought it was going to be 15, and it would have been, but COVID. COVID has made steel and concrete about 25% more than what it was before. And so what was going to cost 15 is going to now cost somewhere around 20 and may the same COVID that made it cost more be the very thing that blesses you in such a way that you are able to give to this thing. I need a witness in the building. I know I'm calling it Victory Park, but this is not a this is not a public thing. There's no public funds coming to this. This is going to happen as a result of the tithes and the offerings and the donations of the generous givers of World Overcomers. And so if you're in the room, we need you to give. If you're watching around the world, we need you to give. I can't beg you to give because you ought, already, you ought to already know that something happens when you give. Give and it shall be given unto you again. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over will men pour into your lap. And with the measure you use, it's measured unto you. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I'm just looking forward to the day, my God, when we walk into this new space and have this dedication service, my God, and I want you to be able to know that you were a part of it. And so for all of you that are watching around the world, especially around the area, members of our church, we need you to be giving to the, to the pledge that you made. And if you didn't make a pledge, we need you to make one. You can take a picture of that QR code. It'll take you to all the ways in which you could give. And, uh, and we need you to be faithful in your giving. I say the same thing every week, and I'm not tired of it. Hallelujah. I'm not tired yet. Running for Jesus. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just excited about what God is going to do in us and through us. And all of these years, 19 years of hollering and praising and screaming and running, and in our 20th year, we're going to walk into this land and take possession of this spot and be in the permanent place of World Overcomers. And so if you see stuff around the building, you can just make your checks payable to WOCC or you can give through that QR code. If you walk through here and you see something on the carpet or see something on a door or see something that's not right, this little screen over here, this projector, doesn't something happen to that? And we're just like, whatever. We, we, we are at a place right now where we are like, you know what? <laughs> We ain't spending another dime. I don't know if you ever get to this place. We are like, I'm not putting another dime in this car. I'm not putting another dollar into this place. I am out of here. I don't own this place. This is a lease for all of us who are renting. May you be an owner. May God empower you as we give in this moment. So let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I want to thank you for the gift and the giver. I want to thank you for the moment that we have to come together. I want, you to thank, I want to thank you for faith coming alive in us. And may faith come alive in me. And faith come alive in your people. And faith come alive in your leaders. And faith come alive through the screens. God, have your way in us. Multiply us supernaturally. Multiply the numbers supernaturally. God, I thank you for every giver. And I pray your glory be revealed. I know we pray it all the time, but God, may you get the glory out of this thing. You get the glory and give us the victory. We'll bless you for what you do. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said together. God bless you as you give. 
you can just stay seated for just a minute and let the gatekeepers just kind of pass the buckets. And thank you so much for your generosity. And you're watching around the world. Thank you so much for your generosity. And uh, we need you to give to the work of the kingdom of God. And uh, this Wednesday is First Wednesday. And uh, in First Wednesday, we have all, we do all this kind of stuff. And so for First Wednesday, uh, I'm actually going to be here this first Wednesday. I'm going to be speaking on Wednesday. Actually, it's do you have a question for Pastor Andy? We've got like a card and the connection thing. I decided what am I going to do on Wednesdays that's kind of different. And so I'm going to do a, do a Q&A thing on first Wednesdays when I'm here. When keeping it real goes wrong is what I'm kind of thinking about calling it. But anyway, and, uh, and so there's, there's a little, there, this little question card is at the Connection Center. And you can go and get this and write it down and drop it in the bucket and you leave it with them if you have a burning question. Or you can bring it on Wednesday and give it to, give it to one of the gatekeepers and they're going to give me the questions. I'm going to sit here basically at a chair and just kind of answer questions that come in online, just do a Q&A, just for us to have a discussion around some stuff. And, uh, and so that's going to happen this Wednesday. So all of you that are about to be dismissed, you can grab a card and, and ask a question. I'd love to get a question. You can text a question. You can take a picture of the QR code. It's on the bottom lower thirds of your screen. You can send a question in to us. And uh, really excited about the possibility of us just having some dialogue around how do we be in these taint, in these last and evil days. And, uh, and so that's going to happen this Wednesday night, and uh, it's going to be an awesome thing. Amen. Why don't you stand up and jump on your feet, and let's be dismissed. And uh, thank you so much for coming to worship with us in the room today. Thanks so much for watching with us live around the world. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for this moment. Thank you for this worship. Thank you for the communion. Thank you for the words of Pastor Algie. Thank you for the encouragement of Pastor Tyrus Hinton. Thank you, Lord God, for the worship leading and Pastor Josh and Tam Hairston and all of the band and all of the worship leaders. Thank you for all these faithful men that served. Thank you for all of the people in children's ministry. Thank you for everyone that made this service possible. Thank you, Lord God, more than anything for your presence, for your presence is in this place. Now God dismisses from this place. And, uh, but never from your presence. Cover us with your blood as those of us who gather together leave and folk wherever they may be. May your anointing rest on us. Have your way in us. Kingdom of God come. Will of God be done. God, as we always pray, bless your people. Make your face shine upon your people. Be gracious to your people. Give your people peace. And we'll bless you. In Jesus' name, we all sit together. Amen. God bless you. Greet somebody in the name of the Lord and uh, see you Wednesday night. Tell somebody. <laughs>